Imagine being trapped in an elevator for hours. The building lost power and you were stuck between floors and you couldn't get out. You're getting hungry, you're getting thirsty, you have other needs. But then finally, the power is restored and the doors open and you are free. Take a couple of steps out of the elevator and then you decide, you know, I think I'll go back in there. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense, does it? You've been set free. Why would you go back? Well, that's the question the Apostle Paul asks the Galatians. And it's a question that we need to answer as well. Why would you go back? Now, obviously, he's not referring to an elevator. So what is he referring to? Well, part five of our study of the letter to the Galatians called It's All About Grace begins next on Discover the Word. And this is the Discover the Word podcast, the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries. Great to have you back at the table with the group as we push ahead in our six-part study of Paul's New Testament letter to the Galatians. And as I mentioned, this is part five, in which Mark DeHaan and Elisa Morgan and Bill Crowder and Daniel Ryan Day will be focusing on chapter five. Hope you've been able to track with us in this study that we're calling It's All About Grace. The group has shared the leading responsibilities in this series. Bill led us through chapters one and two. Uh, Daniel got us through three and four. And now this week and next, Elisa is going to guide us through chapters five and six. And we will spend some time reviewing some of the things we've discovered up to this point. But uh, the question that opens up chapter five is the one about going back into captivity once you've been freed. Why would you do that? Pull your chair up to the table with the group and let's listen as Elisa gets us back into why Paul is so passionate about the gospel being all about grace. Have you heard stories of prisoners who have been set free, but they won't leave their cell? I actually have. Have I've, you really? Yeah. I've heard of prisoners who have been let out, but uh-huh. then they found a way of getting back in. That, they, absolutely. Yeah. What's that called? Recidivism is the idea of the percentage of people who go back in mm-hmm. after being released. Mm-hmm. This is a different type of thing, but it kind of lives in the same sort of world. But you hear of soldiers who spend a long time out in the yeah. field sleeping on the ground, and then when they come back, mm-hmm. they struggle to be indoors. They struggle to sleep in a bed. They mm-hmm. struggle with all those things because they become so conditioned to the other environment. Or even victims of abuse. Sure. have seen yeah, that, sure. too, Absolutely. who've been locked up for a long time. And this time. is what you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. People who become accustomed to living in prison, mm-hmm. but when they try to make the transition, they just are not able to do it. Almost a version of maybe Stockholm Syndrome a little bit, where you start feeling compassion and love for those that are treating you terribly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The trouble is with a prisoner, when they get out, a lot of times the problem is no longer just them. It's other people who mm-hmm. then in turn Society. make it very difficult yeah. for them to get a job. You know, That's an interesting transition, Mark, yeah. <laughs> because what we're describing here is actually the state of the believers in Galatia that Paul is writing to. They have been set free but in a way, they're choosing slavery. They're choosing bondage. And those around them, Mart, are making it difficult for them. To live free. To live mm-hmm. free. Yeah. Because they're laying on them expectations of the old way of earning favor with God through the law instead of the new way that Jesus 
bought for us, which so by is those, grace. You're talking about the Judaizers again. Yeah. Okay. But as we dive into our last two chapters in the book of Galatians, which is chapter five and chapter six, I want to pause and help us review some of the big ideas of this Apostle Paul and why he's writing to this mm-hmm. province, this circular letter. And Bill, you spent a couple of weeks with us, and then Daniel, you did, and Mark, we've been having these great conversations. But help us gather the big ideas. I think immediately of how Paul even ends up in Galatia preaching to these churches. He talked about getting really sick, and a lot of people think it was probably some kind of eye condition because evidently the Galatians responded so generously to his sickness that they would have been willing to pull their own eyes out and give it to him. And mm-hmm. so they wonder if maybe there was some kind of eyesight problem or something like yeah. that. But You covered that in chapter um, four. That's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Paul ended up in Galatia, and he's preaching to these churches because of a sickness, and he falls in love with these churches. He cares a lot about them, mm-hmm. and they get it. When he's there, they get the gospel of grace, which is what he's teaching them, which, Bill, you helped us understand a little bit more what that gospel of grace is. Well, I think the whole theme we've talked about over and over again of the book of Galatians is it's all about grace. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've tried to be very careful with that because one of the big ideas is the fact that it's all about grace does not mean that there's no responsibility on the other side. It does not mean that there's no expectations of how we live in that grace. And I know you're going to get us more deeply into that part of it, at least in five and six. But I think to me, one of the biggest ideas that's hit me out of our study is what you just said, Daniel. And that's how genuinely and deeply Paul cares for these people. Because mm-hmm. my entire life, I've seen <laughs> and heard Galatians as the hot letter. This is the angry letter. Paul's really going, and he does, but there's a heart behind it. Mm-hmm. He is angry. And so he has a dear, dear, dear concern for his readers and the, even the abusers yeah. in the church. But he has a dear, dear concern for Jesus as well and that we not miss the gift of grace. Yeah. And he's dealing with people on both sides mm-hmm. who are running into what I think you were leading with, a kind of culture shock. Because <laughs> the Jewish people had never known anything different yeah. than living under the law, yeah. a culture of law. Yeah. The Judaizers from Jerusalem had come to Galatia and were trying to pull the Galatians back into the prison. They've decided not to leave. Yeah. You know, I love what Eugene Peterson talks about. This is in his introduction to Galatians. He says, when men and women get their hands on religion, one of the first things they do is turn it into an instrument for controlling others, either putting or keeping them in their place. And that's what we see happening. In fact, we're going to go straight into chapter five now. And let's remember a bit of our conversation from last week with Daniel as we completed chapter four, a difficult chapter on the slave woman and the free woman and the contrast and Paul's insistence that we be free because Mm -hmm. Christ set us free. And the beginning of chapter five, let's read verses one through six. And uh, Daniel, would you just read that for us? Sure. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Listen, I, Paul, am telling you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Once again, I testify to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obliged to obey the entire law. You who want to be justified by the law have cut yourselves off from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision 
nor uncircumcision counts for anything. The only thing that counts is faith working through love. Wow, wow, wow. Boy, again, there's so many ideas and so much it feels boring. <laughs> Even though we're familiar with it, you start to read it again yeah. and mm-hmm. they just pile one on top of the other. Yeah, it's a lot of yeah. information. Isn't it interesting that in a section where he's talking about the valueless of circumcision, Daniel's translation has you have cut yourself off yeah. from Christ. <laughs> and very intentional. Oh, yeah. And you're making the point is that the Judaizers who are Jewish believers, Jewish Christians, are really saying you have to add circumcision onto grace. And Paul's very dramatic language is, if you insist on circumcision, a physical act of obedience to the law, you're actually cutting yourself off from grace. Yeah, the irony of it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. What do you think Paul is hoping the response is from them? And here's why I ask, because they can't go backwards once they've been circumcised. Like, that's not something you can undo. undo. Mm-hmm. Right. And it seems like from this text that Paul's saying, if this happens, you are now cut away from grace. You've fallen away from grace. You're separated from Christ. That to me feels mm-hmm. like a lot of condemnation. And you know, Daniel, I appreciate you bringing that up because we're going to see that kind of confusing ultimatum kind of language several times in these next couple of chapters when apparently Paul is saying what he says in verse six, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. But if you circumcised, you're out. But if you, you know, you're out. And so what is he saying? I think we want to unpack that real intentionally because he's either saying we're saved by faith and grace or we're not. But again, is he talking about grace in the saving aspect of grace or grace in how we live out our lives? Mm-hmm. I sense, and maybe you'll show us something different, Eliza, but I sense that he's talking about you're putting yourself back in prison. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're cutting yourself off from the very thing that set you free. I think mm-hmm. that's it. The language here of freedom, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. That's a language of being released. And he says to stand firm and not be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Where do we know about yokes of slavery and heavy burdens and something come to mind that Jesus said here? Yeah, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. So we still are yoked, Mm -hmm. if you will, when we are in relationship with Jesus, but we're not yoked to the impossible. You're talking about connection, right? That's Mm -hmm. all you mean. Yeah, like an oxen bearing a yoke and pulling together. And that was Jesus's language in Matthew 11. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So we're still yoked when we're connected in relationship Mm -hmm. with Jesus, but we're not yoked to the impossible of the law. We're yoked to the made possible, which is grace. Again, not focused on the flesh, but Mm -hmm. focused on a new freedom in the spirit. Yeah, not focused on the circumcision. And that represents the rules, doesn't it? It does. The laws. Yes. Focusing on things you can do Uh or must do. We talked about the promise that was given before the law and then the law that was given to help us understand our need for Christ. And then what Jesus provided was the fulfillment of the promise that we'd be brought back into a relationship with God. And that's what God did with Jesus. You know, Paul begins this chapter with stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. There's a choice here. When we understand slavery in our more modern day, there's no choice. You are sold and you lose your privileges. Jesus bought our privileges back, and now it's up to us to stand firm, to not fall away from grace, not let ourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery, but instead be connected to him. The doors are open. 
The bars are open, the locks are open. We need to step out into the freedom that we have in Christ. How do you know it's God that is speaking to you or leading you or directing your steps, if you will? How do you know it's God and not just what you want? You have to make a judgment, don't you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how do you do that? Well, I think it's difficult. My inclination is not to say God told me (laughs) or God said to me Mm -hmm. or God directed me, but to say, I feel like the Lord may be leading me Mm. because that way it's on me. If I'm wrong, it's not on him. Yeah. And sometimes that can lead to a sense of certainty, though, because if your choices are to either reach out to someone else who needs you, there's no way in the world God is saying, don't do this right sure. now. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the certainty. So often I feel like I know exactly that if it's the loving thing and if I'm, to the best of my knowledge, yeah. being true to what I believe Christ taught, mm-hmm. I think we can move together with a sense of certainty. But I think you're right. It's wise to be careful how we mm-hmm. say it how we express it. And I think that's a good point too, because there's so many different ways that we seek to hear from God. You know, if you're in the the middle of trying to figure out what you should do job-wise or where you should move or what school you should go to, you're looking for those like, okay, where is God directing my steps? But in the situation that you're describing, Mark, those are the situations where you see someone that needs help. Yeah. You don't have to go through quite as much, well, is this really God? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but what about when you're being nudged in a similar kind of fashion, but you're not sure it's God, or maybe you don't even know it isn't God. Can other influences nudge us, maybe in harmful directions, and we might not notice, even if we're followers of Christ? All the time. Yeah. And a lot of times, I think we have to use our best judgment, take a step, and then prayer is, Lord, help me. If this is not where you want me to go, Mm -hmm. let me see it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I lean a lot on advice from mentors and 90% of that's been really good advice. And every (laughs) once in a while... (laughs) (laughs) You get a wacky one. Yeah, well, and it'll sound good, but the only way you would know it's a little bit off is something in my spirit or something that's like, I don't know. And then Mm -hmm. anyway. Yeah, I think that in those moments, again... A lot of times, maybe too often, we lean on the circumstances. Well, okay, how did this end up? Well, then it must have been of God. Well, uh, maybe not. And we read God back into yeah. it. Which yeah. sometimes we can see things sometimes we Sometimes we see. can. Right. I'm just very cautious about that in my own life, maybe too much. Maybe I miss some opportunities yeah. because of that. I am too, but at the same time, you have to believe that God is involved in our lives. Yeah. Absolutely. And we have to believe that he wants us to be asking the question and looking for whatever is true to him as we understand him. And the reality is that our lives and connection and relationship with God are fluid. You know, it's yeah. not like A, B, C, and it's all so literal and we can start and stop. It's a fluid right. relationship as our relationships with our spouses or our children or our parents or our friends. But you're right, this overall picture of who do we belong to yeah. and how are mm-hmm. we moving through our days. As we continue in our conversations about Galatians and what's going on there in this first century letter that was written to a lot of churches in the province of Galatia, we're in chapter 5, and today we're going to focus in verses 7 to 12, and we're going to see that Paul is concerned that the Galatians have gotten a little confused as to whose voice they're really following. And, you know, this is a a concept, a metaphor, if you will, that Jesus used in John chapter 10 about my sheep, Mm. what, hear 
my voice. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they and the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, and will whisper yeah. other messages. Mm-hmm. But I come to bring life and life to the yeah. full. So you know this is very familiar. I would think. Yeah. Let's go ahead and read verses seven to twelve. And how about if we divide it up a little bit this time and listen for the metaphors that Paul uses in talking to the Galatians? Are they listening to the one mm-hmm. they should be listening to? You were running the race so well. Who's held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he's the one who called you to freedom. A little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough. I am confident about you and the Lord that you will not think otherwise, but whoever it is that is confusing you will pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Okay, some commentators have said this is just a really weird passage stuck in the middle of Paul's words. And it is, admittedly, a little weird. He uses several word pictures. The first one is a race. Okay, and he says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from winning, from obeying the truth? So there's a little bit of the present. There's a lot of the present in this. Mm -hmm. But the question is, am I in this moment? Yeah. Living, walking, running with my eye on what's important. In I the think end. that's exactly it because the next reference is that kind of persuasion doesn't come from the one who calls you. Grab Galatians 1 15 and 16. What does mm-hmm. Paul say there? But when he who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, had called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. Okay, so Paul's Mm. talking about his own call. And he says, since my mother's womb, I've been Mm. called. And I love what you just said, Mark. Paul writes, this kind of persuasion doesn't come from the one who, your translation said, called Mm. you. The NIV says, calls Mm. you. There is a current, present kind of relationship Mm -hmm. that Paul's talking about. Okay, there's a third Word picture, a little yeast works what, Daniel, through the whole... The whole batch of dough. And where have we heard that kind of an (laughs) illustration before? And Jesus talked about Mm. that. And what did Jesus mean when he talked about that? He was talking about the yeast of the Pharisees, right? The yeast of religion by works. Mm -hmm. And in a sense, I think you're right, Elisa. I think that's exactly the problem he's arguing with here. Once you step into the world of the law again... It's all consuming. It takes over everything. You cannot live by grace with a little bit of law. That little bit of law is going to impact everything. That's exactly it. So I I recently have gotten into making sourdough bread, (laughs) and I've been using the wild yeast method, which means that you basically put flour and water together, and then there's yeast in the air, and it gets in there, right? And it's called a starter, a sourdough starter. Well, when you go to make the bread itself, you only use 25 grams which is hardly anything of that sourdough starter. And then you put it into 700 grams-ish of flour. So we're talking about 25 grams of 700 grams. And by the end, you have two loaves that are huge. Mm. They've grown so much. Why? Because of that little tiny bit. This is exactly the picture that Paul is painting. He's talked about who cut in on you in the race, who whispered in your ear and your call. A little bit of yeast changes the whole nature of the batch of dough, then connects it to circumcision being the particular issue that those Judaizers, the 
Jewish Christians were trying to add into the pure gift of grace that God had provided through Jesus. And he talks about in verse 11, if I'm still preaching circumcision, which they had Mm -hmm. accused him of doing, in that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. And Paul loved the cross, whereas in that culture, the cross was an abomination. Mm -hmm. And that's what he means by offense. And as for those agitators, and here's his last word picture in this tiny section, Mm -hmm. I wish they'd go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Mm -hmm. The point is this, whatever you choose to be the mosaic yeast that you throw Mm -hmm. into the bread of your life, once you do that, you might as well go the whole way because you're there. And I feel like the way legalism often works in our lives is that it starts by that little whisper. You know, maybe the enemy whispers to us, Wouldn't God love you more if you did such and such? Mm -hmm. Just real subtle. And then what ends up happening is as that festers and builds and grows in us, as that yeast works through the dough, we end up trying to do this and then that. And then we have this whole list of things we feel like we have to do to keep God happy. Well, I need to pray longer then. Mm -hmm. If I pray longer, I'll have a better relationship with God. I think sometimes it can happen like that. I'm inclined to think that more often it's when we try to project something on someone else. We try to make an issue in their lives, and often they can't do anything about it. But it's that projection of rules on others that I think involves us in a kind of legalism that was really messing up the Galatians. Mm -hmm. We started out talking about how do we know God is leading us. And Mart, I think you let us off beautifully saying it's a judgment issue. And for each of us to discern who God is, is a judgment issue. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14 that we don't have a God of confusion or disorder. He's going to be consistently a God of grace whose rescue of us came into our world in a surprising but consistent manner. And as we look back on our decisions, can we look at, are we walking in that grace? Or are we layering or allowing to be layered in our lives? Rules and legalisms that we can earn favor when God's favor comes to us freely. Yeah, an important question for each of us to answer. Are we living under grace Or do we think we have to earn God's favor? In many ways, a difficult concept to get a hold of, isn't it? Well, you're at the Discover the Word table with your friends Mark DeHaan, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Orion Day, and we are pushing ahead in our study in Galatians called It's All About Grace. In this episode, we're focusing on Galatians chapter 5. And in just a moment, the group will be discussing the fact that while God forgives all our sins, past and present, That doesn't give us license to sin more going forward. Living any way we'd like isn't what God's grace sets us free to do. And so be part of that conversation as we see how Paul addresses the issue after this time out. Now, during the study of Galatians that the group has been doing, I've also been taking a moment or two in each of the episodes to tell you about some of the other Bible engagement materials that Our Daily Bread Ministries has that can help you live life as a follower of Christ. And I've been stressing some of our devotional literature that encourages you to have a regular time each day devoted to Bible reading and prayer. That changes your day when it's part of it, and it actually changes the direction of your life when you commit to it. And so in this episode, I'm pointing you to some of the reading plans we have 
that are connected with our familiar Our Daily Bread devotional. These reading plans, for the most part, narrow your focus for a 10-day period to a specific aspect of the Christian life. For example, a recent reading plan called Unshakable offers 10 reflections on resilience and helps you to foster faithful endurance in seasons of suffering or tragedy or loss with Bible stories, more contemporary illustrations, and then some reflection questions. You can access Unshakable and many of these other special reading plans in the Our Daily Bread app, which if you don't have it, is available for free in your app store. Just download the Our Daily Bread devotional app, and then when you go to it, open the menu. Listed there, you'll see reading plans. Click on that, and you'll see a good selection that you can choose from. Of course, the app also gives you access to the regular Our Daily Bread devotional and even some select Discover the Word studies. It's a good app to have. And of course, it has those reading plans that I hope you'll check out. And now let's get back to Galatians chapter 5. And where this next segment begins is with the pretty common language about slavery that we find in the letter and how uncomfortable that is for us. Do you feel like you're enslaved to anything? It may be hard mm. to share here, so I don't want to put you on the spot. I, I do. You know, the circumstances of our lives pretty much mm-hmm. demand that we live up to the expectations all around us. Yeah. I mean, who we live with, what mm-hmm. their needs are, what our jobs are. You make choices and they make you, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like when you have kids, right? I mean, once you have kids, you have to take care of them mm-hmm. at that point. I mean, you can't just... You can't run off in the other Unfortunately, direction. some people have done that, yeah. right? And there's probably some pain in our audience of people that are like, well, my dad did that or my mom did that. But Mm -hmm. I think a much lighter note right away, which is my cell phone, you know, or my smartphone. (laughs) I think we get enslaved to that easily. Bill, there's a new app uh, that comes to me every week. Do I want to have a report of how much time I've spent? I just click that thing right off. (laughs) I don't (laughs) even want to know. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I don't pay attention to that either. But with this, and one of the things that we've noticed about Paul is that he uses such strong language all the time. And I think sometimes in our culture, we forget what strong language slavery talk is. I mean, we go back in our own history and we see what slavery talk means. And today with human trafficking and all that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. I think we forget how extreme slavery can really feel. So when you talk about, do you feel enslaved to something? I kind of have to mentally keep that in a context because it's not like what some of our African-American friends' ancestors went through. It's not like that. And it's not like people who are being human trafficked today. But it's a far more subtle and nuanced kind of slavery that, in a sense, is harder to get my arms around. I'm so glad you made that turn, Bill. It's respectful, but it's also exactly where we want to really consider Paul's words to the Galatians today. You know, in the New Testament times, how did Paul and how would his readers interpret slavery? How was slavery presented in culture in his day? Slavery was, I mean, estimates range from 35 to 50 percent of the Roman Empire were slaves, but some of them were household slaves who have decided to indenture themselves to a master in order to be able to take care of their families. And it's not that different from working a job. There were highly abusive situations as well. So it was more of a mixed bag than what our kind of national memory is. Yeah, and the Old Testament describes several different kinds as well, right? So you had 
versions where people didn't want to leave that condition and not because of the Stockholm syndrome that we talked about in a previous conversation, but they had a roof over their head and they had food. There was an exchange of yeah, benefits there was an exchange for service. There. Mm-hmm. And there's even laws in the Old Testament about, well, if you want to stay in that situation, here's the process that you go through to basically dedicate yourself to that person. And so it is a little different, I think. But there was a real limitation of civil rights, too. It wasn't the kind of freedom Mm -hmm. that many of us experience Mm -hmm. today. No, and I think that was true culture-wide. But especially, yes, I mean, one of the realities of slavery, no matter how it evidences itself, is that you lose choice. Mm -hmm. And with choice being gone, limits come in. Good. Good. In chapter five of Galatians, we're turning the corner from a huge theological discussion about legalism and the law versus being saved by the gift of God and grace through Jesus' sacrifice for us. And Paul starts off chapter five. It's a bit of a turn into now, so what? And he says, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. As we move into chapter 5 further, we're going to be in verses 13 to 15, and there's a shadow of the slavery language remaining, and it's going to continue. And what is Paul talking about not being enslaved to? Let's read these verses and see if we can start to understand the so whatness of how we live. Daniel, would you pick up 13 to 14? And then, Bill, would you get 15 for us? For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 15, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Paul is saying, don't be enslaved to what now? I think he's referring in one sense, don't be enslaved to a culture of law. A culture of law. Yeah, Mm -hmm. because the Jewish way of life was all about rules. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, don't let your life be ordered by Mm -hmm. a culture Mm -hmm. of things that you do and must do in order to be good citizens. Because you've been set free, free from the law. And then he says in verse uh, 13, the end of it, but don't use your freedom for what? Well, and see, that's where I was thinking, because what I was hearing was the answer to one of the problems we've been wrestling with all along in Galatians, and that is if it's all about grace, as we've said 5,000 times in the last few weeks, <laughs> if it's all about grace, well, does that mean we can do whatever we want? Right. And it doesn't matter. And when he says, don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh, he's saying, no, that's not the kind of grace we're talking right. about. See, I think that's maybe where a good part of his audience was. Mm-hmm. There was one thing to be a Jew coming to this discussion or argument. It's another yeah. thing to be a person who would, in terms of be a pagan, somebody... Yeah who had no law, their freedom was freedom to self-destruct, yeah. right? Well, and he uses the term flesh, you yeah. know, to become a slave to the flesh. And what is the flesh? Satisfying physical desires, yeah. whatever they might be. And we know in our culture, I mean, that's very relevant language to us because we live in a time in which addiction is such a huge mm-hmm. thing. Addicted yeah. to one's own desires. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Just our fallen human nature. Yeah. Daniel, when we were in chapter four last week, you brought out the radical relationship that Paul describes we have with God through mm-hmm. Christ. What term did we use for it? What term does Paul use for it? Yeah, he talks about it as sons and daughters mm-hmm. of God and not just sons and daughters that have been adopted and then the relationship kind of just ends. 
sons and daughters that God loves so much that he's close with them. They can call him Abba Father, that close daddy relationship. They can run to him and cry to him and rest in his arms and he takes care of them. He hears them. And an adoption into the family as well, which is a different kind as we've been talking about the indentured slave, the servant. The language Paul's using is to pull us into a personal relationship, a familial relationship. In fact, he says, brothers and sisters, he says in verse 13. Seeing that brothers and sisters and children, sons and daughters is so good Mm -hmm. because it shows freedom of access into this wonderful Mm -hmm. relationship with God. I agree. But to bring it back to the slavery model, one of the realities of slavery is one person person using another person for themselves. And I think that's the second half. In contrast to don't use your freedom to indulge in flesh, he says, rather serve one another humbly in love. In fact, Daniel, how does your translation express the end of verse 13? But through love become slaves to one another. So listen to these words as we put them together. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge or become slaves to the flesh. Instead, become slaves to one another, humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, isn't this what Jesus gave us? I mean, what is Philippians 2, 5 to 8? What does that say about what Jesus did for us? Yeah, it says... Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave and being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. I just want to cry right now. I mean, that is just so beautiful. So Paul is not at all saying, go do whatever you want Mm -hmm. because of the free gift of grace. He's saying, throw off the yoke of slavery where you have to do it all right by the law and take on the yoke, my yoke, my burden of love pouring yourself out for your brothers and sisters. Paul is writing to a a tumultuous church division going on over, do we keep the law or is it all by grace? And if it's all by grace, then how do we live? And should I still be circumcised? Mm -hmm. And what does he say in verse 15 then, as we're supposed to keep serving, being slaves to one another in love? He says in verse 15, what, Daniel? If, however, you bite and devour one another... Take care that you are not consumed by one another. And once again, he uses another metaphor. (laughs) (laughs) I picture, remember that Pac-Man game where Pac-Man would just, you know, technologically eat up all of the opportunities around him. Paul's really trying to pour out to his brothers and sisters, as he says in verse 13, don't be slaves to the flesh, become slaves to each other in love. Because if you don't, you're going to destroy each other. Here's a question that usually pops up at some point in our conversations about God. If we mess up, do we miss out? Yes. How? It depends on what the consequence is, right? How bad is the mess up? There are huge losses that can track us, we can trip into. And then I flip the coin over and say no, because I'm not going to miss out on eternity because I mess up, because grace is big enough to take care of that. But there's always going to be things we miss out on Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. as results of our choices when they're bad. Yeah. One of the aspects of the good news of the gospel is how often throughout the scriptures, God takes mess ups and uses them for even the good of those who mess up. Yeah, I mean, God uses the broken. He loves the broken and he uses the broken. Sometimes even more powerfully after we've been broken Mm -hmm. than before. But as you started off, Mart, there may be consequences that are somewhat permanent in affecting how we're used or how we are included. I wonder if maybe there's a time for both kinds of thinking. It's probably important that we realize, you know, the time I've been given is really important. Mm. I need to try to do this right. But then after we've messed up something that can't be fixed, Mm. at that point, I think maybe what you're describing, okay, now there's going to be a huge loss maybe, but... There's also consolation in the middle of it. Yeah, Yeah, there is a tension, which I love that we're bringing out, between failing and understanding our failure and turning for help. And which is most important? You know, and we get stuck on that. It's actually kind of the context that Paul's writing to. Do we save ourselves by doing things right, by saying I'm sorry in the right way, by turning to Jesus in the right way? Is that required? Yeah, kind of, sort of. But no grace is free and given to us. So that tension. And if we don't continue to walk correctly after we receive grace, does that mean something's going to happen to us? Is grace conditional? These are gnarly questions. And they're questions that Paul was writing to the province of Galatia to address. Judaizers, Christian, Jewish believers, were struggling to understand how the law, how Judaism and its rules fit with the free gift of the cross Mm. of Jesus' death. There's a thing, too. One Mm. of the, the things about a conversation like this with so many of our friends with us at the table we're all going to be hearing this from such a different angle. Yeah, that's right. It can feel very down. <laughs> and for others, maybe in their situation, they hear this and say, boy, there's still hope. Yeah. <laughs> and I think both are true. Right. And that's so honest, Bill. And the reality is we still struggle all mm-hmm. the time with our fallen human nature. Paul talks about it as the flesh. And how do we do this dance of relationship with Jesus in such a way that we're still going to fail. And we also hold on to the hope that God can even use those. And then how can we then show that same grace to others Mm. when they fail? Mm -hmm. So Paul gives us some information. It's the information that he gives to the Galatians as they try to figure out, okay, what does it mean if I'm saved by grace? You know, if I have hope because of the gift of grace, how do I live? Let's go back into Galatians chapter 5 and verses 16 to 21. Mark, do you want to start us off in verse 16? Okay. So I say, Paul writes, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness and orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
Okay, there's a lot here. Let's mm. hold verse 21, the very last part, yeah, for I a few to go minutes. Right to that. I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you want to hold that. Of course, verse. I do. <laughs> the first thing that jumped out to me was just, Mart, when you were reading, you said, led by the Spirit. Mm. Mine says, live by the Spirit. Elisa. I think yours was walked by the Spirit. Correct. But the point is the Spirit. <laughs> it's yeah. the Spirit. And let's remember, in our last conversation, we talked about the contrast that Paul made between being a slave to the flesh or the law or doing it all right or doing it licentiously without any kind of concern for anybody else. We've been freed. He contrasted that with becoming a slave to what? Mm-hmm. To love. You know, some years ago, uh, Bob Dylan wrote and sang a song entitled, You Gotta Serve Somebody. And he's right. I mean, either we're going to serve our own flesh or we're going to serve others as we serve Christ. But you got to serve somebody. Right. (laughs) And the flesh really is anything besides God that we put our trust in. And when we then walk by the Spirit, there is this kind of progression. To walk by the Spirit means to be led by the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. Mm -hmm. Paul's going to say it in a few more verses. The flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit was contrary to the flesh. They have in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Where else does Paul write about the struggle between doing what we want and doing what we want? know we should do. Yeah, to the Romans. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And any verses come to mind there that might be helpful for us here? In chapter 7. Mm. Yeah. And what does he say? There Maybe just a couple of verses okay. from there. I find then the principle of evil, this is verse 21 okay. of Romans 7. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? In verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. Mm -hmm. So our old nature is not literally dead until we were with Jesus, you know, in eternity, right? It continues to be a struggle for us. But Paul's answer to, if you mess up, mm-hmm. are you going to miss out, is walk, keep on walking, mm-hmm. intentionally walk, be in relationship with grace, with the Spirit. As you were talking about that, Elisa, it took me back to one of our earlier conversations in chapter two. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live Yet not I, mm-hmm. but Christ lives in me. Mm-hmm. It's almost like this is a, mm-hmm. an explanation of how that works. How does it work? It works in the spirit. Mm-hmm. That's what it looks like. With that, though, you say it's an explanation of how, but I see this and see live by the spirit and I go, okay, how? What <laughs> yeah. do I do? Mm-hmm. How does this work? Mm-hmm. I think what the language is, because it's this being led, as your translation said, Mart, living by, keeping in step with, there is this continuous walking. It's a relationship. And I go back again to Jesus saying, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened by the law, mm-hmm. and take my yoke upon you. It's easy and light, and I will walk with you. And that's what it means. It's an ongoing dependence. And that pushed a little bit further because he ends with a verse that we probably don't like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, meaning connected to the acts of the flesh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. What is he saying there? Is he saying, you got to do it right? If you mess up, you're going to miss out 
on something? Yeah, I don't think so. Mm-mm. That can't be what he says because it would contradict everything yeah. else he's been saying. Well, and I think of Jesus and how often Jesus said the kingdom of God is here. And he was describing himself and this life that comes through the grace of God. And if you look right above this verse and see all of the works of the flesh, mm-hmm. these are ugly things. Right. You see, and if I you're think, living in those things, you're exactly. definitely not experiencing the kingdom of God. And what is the kingdom of God? It's the influence. It's the rule of God. That's right. For being like babies following our own desires and to whoever at whatever expense, mm-hmm. there's no way in the world that the kingdom and rule and presence and spirit of God is going to be filling us and filling us with love for one another. Exactly. You got to serve somebody. Yeah. <laughs> and you cannot serve kingdom purposes if you're serving your flesh. Right. Bill, you said the law requires perfect obedience. And so it didn't work for us because we can't do it, Mm -hmm. okay? If we mess up, we will miss out, period, done, deal. But grace does not require perfect faith or perfect performance. Grace is a gift that we receive. Mm -hmm. So if we mess up, and we're counting on the gift of grace, there may be some consequences in which we're deeply saddened or even in some ways torn apart. But in the end, we will not miss out on the eternal relationship we have with our great God. Yeah, remember, Elisa began that part of the conversation by asking the question she came back to there at the end that I'm sure we've all wondered about at some point, and that is, if we mess up, do we miss out? And I hope you have a renewed sense of confidence that while we may miss out on some temporary benefits, our failures don't have to keep us from a relationship with God. Well, one more thing the group wants to talk about that we see in the last verses of chapter 5. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And so what is our role in helping it grow in our lives? Do we have a role? And if so, how much of a role? A practical way to conclude our discussion of Galatians chapter 5 after one more short break. Now, you know, one part of this study of Galatians that I've really enjoyed is the chance to tell you in each episode about some of the devotional material that we have here at Our Daily Bread Ministries. We are a Bible engagement ministry, and one of the ways we try to encourage regular times of Bible reading and study and reflection is with these devotional products. Kind of the cornerstone of those efforts is the Our Daily Bread. And this week I've been telling you about kind of a spin-off product that we've developed called Reading Plans. These are 10-day plans that focus on specific topics. We have some for coaches and athletes, for certain seasons like Christmas and Easter, about leadership and unity and much more. And you can access these reading plans through the Our Daily Bread devotional app. If you don't have it, search for it in your app store and download it. It's free, and then you'll be able to use not only the regular Our Daily Bread, but you'll also be able to use these reading plans. The app has a number of features that you'll want to check out. All right, so let's listen now as Mart and Elisa and Bill and Daniel wrap up Part 5 and Chapter 5 of Galatians, and It's All About Grace with the section about the fruit of the Spirit. Do you think grace can grow? Or is it always just the same? And when you say grace, what do you mean? I'm really talking about our understanding of grace as it's our relationship with God. 
I think that can grow. But as far as whether or not grace can grow, that's a different idea than whether or not our understanding of grace can grow. So I like the way you said it second. Second. (laughs) Yeah. And I think about with my kids, Uh right? I've grown more gracious with my kids. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. In that sense, it can grow. Graciousness grows that way. And our experience of it, like we said, our awareness. I like Mm -hmm. that. Yesterday in our conversation, we talked about if we mess up, do we miss out? And we talked about that, you know, when we walk by the flesh, when we give over to our flesh, our human nature desires, it's not so pretty, right? Mm -hmm. It's also not the end. And I'm glad we were able to to talk about both sides. Mm -hmm. And there may be consequences. Yeah. Yeah. But we still get more chances because of grace. (laughs) Okay. And Daniel, I love the question that you teed up for us. How Mm -hmm. do we connect more with grace than with our flesh? So today we're going into the most popular passage in the book of Galatians. I'm pretty sure. Although there's some good ones like I've been crucified with Christ and it's not me who lives but him through me. But this is maybe the most familiar. Where are we going? Fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit. Some commentators call them the nine graces. Hmm. Since we've been in Galatians talking about it's all about grace, I thought for a minute, let's think about these fruit of the Spirit as being nine graces that we see perhaps growing Mm -hmm. in our lives because of the grace of God that they represent. Well, when I look at the list... I need them to be graces <laughs> because they don't come naturally. <laughs> and you know, that is maybe the big takeaway already. And we were only a couple of minutes into our conversation. We tend to think that the fruit of the Spirit is up to us to produce. Yeah. How hard does a tree work to produce an orange? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it grunting? Is it exerting mm-hmm. itself? Mm-hmm. No, it's the natural byproduct of the life that's in it. Mm-hmm. I think you're right, Daniel. If this was up to us to figure out a way to churn these things out, we're done before we start. Deep trouble. Yeah. Because when we're trying to live it out, and what Paul talks about is the fruit of the Spirit, it's much easier to Mm -hmm. apply if we understand even these fruit are things that God produces. Yeah, that's why they're called the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of the Christian, Mm -hmm. right? Exactly. Okay, so let's read Galatians 5, 22, and, and let's just read up through 25, Bill. Okay. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Yesterday we talked about the works of the flesh. There were ugly, ugly words. Let me just quickly read them from Eugene Peterson's list in the message, because they're really crazy words. It's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods. Magic show religion. Paranoid loneliness cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into rivals, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on. So the verses that precede 
the fruit of the Spirit. And, and Paul is challenging us not to become slaves to these works mm-hmm. of the flesh, mm-hmm. but instead to become slaves to grace, to love, and let grace and love produce these graces, these fruit. Earlier, you mentioned the verse that we've talked about before in Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. And once again, in this context, Paul talks about being crucified and crucifying actually things. What does that mean? Put to death. Yeah, and how do you put it to death? Yeah, I wish I was better at it. I wish (laughs) I knew how to do that completely. I think some of it is how we respond to the work of the Spirit in us so that what the Spirit is producing in us is replacing what our flesh would want to produce. And that does require a kind of a death to self. And you know, Mark, and Bill, both of you, you're right. In verse 24, he says, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So there's like a it's past tense done kind of, it's a decision, it's a choice, it's a connection to grace. And then in verse 25, you see an ongoing posture of relationship. Daniel, read 25 for us. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Okay. And another translation is keep in step with the spirit reminds me of a dancer yeah. my wife and i uh, we've danced a few times which is probably a good thing right? <laughs> and um we always joke pretty sure she's okay with me saying this because she steps on my feet all the time <laughs> we're not in step in that moment yeah but when we get it when we're in step mm-hmm. together dancing it's amazing how much more smooth and probably beautiful on the outside. I don't know. You'd have to tell me. (laughs) But you know what's sweet about that is that walking in step with the Spirit. We put ourselves depending on His leading through each of the steps that we take. And when we do that, instead of having this chaotic, disorganized, crazy list of ugly works of the flesh, we get these nine graces that are orderly and set together. Some commentators have said they're kind of organized, like an attitude to God of love, joy, and peace, an attitude towards others of patience and kindness and goodness or forbearance was the word for patience I read, or an attitude to of self of faithfulness and gentleness and self-control that we get kind of put together in a pleasant, more pleasant package. And this grace, as we suggested, maybe grows in us. It's God's work growing in us. These are all things that we think of God. We think of God as being faithful. We think of God Mm -hmm. as being patient. We think of God as being loving and joyful. And so what we're seeing is his life taking root in our lives. Yeah. At least early on, you mentioned that these are some of the most popular words Mm. of the Bible, the New Testament. Mm. It seems like once we understand that the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, it's very easy to start trying to do those things. Mm -hmm. To be loving, I want to be loving. I want to be joyful. I I need to be patient. Mm -hmm. I need to be kind. It seems like we can slip off the edge of the road Mm -hmm. if we don't just continue to remember, I can't do this, though. But is it bad to try? Is it bad for us to try to be loving? Well, that's the question, I think. Should we be trying to do this? And I think it's about what's in our heart as we're trying, because I think you're exactly right, Mart. It can become another kind of legalism. Now we're shackled to this. Mm -hmm. Well, if I'm not loving enough, okay, now I'm falling down again. I think that's why it's so important that it's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of me. Earlier in Galatians, Paul talks about Jesus as the seed of God, capital S, you know, the Son of God. And he also says in in Galatians 2, 20, you know, I have been crucified with Christ. The life I live 
in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God. But if somebody says, how do you tell me how to think my way through that? It sounds so (laughs) mystical. It sounds so... It's like this seed is, I think that word picture is maybe helpful, that when we give our lives over to Jesus, it's in a sense as How do you do that? I love you, Jesus, and I receive the fact that you love me back and that that's all you want from me, is you want me to let... You love me. You're expressing an openness of heart I'm to him. I'm yielding. It's a conscious mm-hmm. a cho- desire. Desire and choice. To let that, him do his work in mm-hmm. you. He comes to live in me. And I cooperate with that. I receive that, the seed, and he begins to grow his grace you know in me. Mm-hmm. How do you know that? Yeah, how do you? I think you begin to see some of these elements. I think they begin to become visible. Before we started this conversation, Daniel said, I don't normally do this in this way, but I think we need to pray. And Daniel prayed, and he said, God, would you direct our words, and would you direct our understanding as we say them here for each listener there? And Mart, I think that's an example. We declare our dependency, and we live it out intentionally. And the last verse of this section is verse 26, where Paul says, let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying one another, which is super weird, unless you tie it back to verse 15, just a few verses before that where he cautions the Galatians who are in an incredibly difficult church split over how you do life with Jesus. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you're going to be destroyed. How do we pull back from the biting and devouring? By receiving and cooperating with the seed who grows his grace in us and evidences his character and his being in us by his spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. Even that is all about grace. Wrapping up part five, focusing on chapter five of the book of Galatians. That's Elisa Morgan, Marty Hahn, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day. Glad you're part of the Discover the Word group as well. Well, one more episode to go in this study of Galatians. And so next time we'll be wrapping up our study called It's All About Grace. And in that episode, Mart and Elisa and Bill and Daniel will start by tackling the sensitive subject of addressing another believer's sin and how to do that in a spirit of gentleness. Having received grace, can we also find a way to give it? I hope to have you back at the table for that. Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. And just a quick reminder that we are a listener and user-supported ministry. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can do that by going to our discovertheword.org website. There is a donate tab there that you can click on and you can give right there, either a one-time gift or set yourself up to be a Discover the Word partner and give whatever size gift you'd like on a monthly basis. Again, you can give at discovertheword.org. Click Donate. Well, thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.